Hi, everyone. Oh, thank you. Good to hear you. And hello to those who are joining through live stream. Uh, glad we can all work together on this beautiful Sunday. A little hot, but maybe this will be the tail end of the summer. So we can enjoy it before it's over and get cold again. Today's passage is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 15, or 14 rather, through 21. 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. And uh, if we haven't met, my name is Aiden, by the way. I'm a pastor here. I uh, hope you are having a great time at our church so far. Uh, but glad you are able to join us today. Again, the passage, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. I'll be reading for us, and we'll pray. We'll go into the, <clears throat> the, the message together. Verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, Christ, uh, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is God's word. Uh, let's bow our heads and pray together before we go in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you that you are present here with us. Whether we feel it or not, uh, you are here. That's the objective truth that we hold on to and believe. And because you are here, I pray that you would speak powerfully uh, through this time, God. Uh, use me as a jar of clay uh, just to be able to communicate your word alone clearly and that you would open up the hearts of everyone here uh, in person virtually everyone that's listening in um, that your holy spirit would open us up so that we can absorb all that you want to say to us that we would be changed by your word by your spirit god but thank you for this privilege that we have to sit under your word and may you bless our hearts during this time. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, 
If you have been joining us past few weeks, uh, we've been going through this short series where we uh, expound upon basically the vision of CLC, what our church is all about. And we uh, have three pillars. Uh, those are uh, vertical and horizontal and missional community. Vertical meaning we prioritize our relationship with God through the word and prayer. And horizontally, we are changed individually and reach out to one another. That's our community. And lastly, today, we'll look at missional aspect of our church, which simply means that we want to look beyond uh, ourselves and look to the world and be a blessing with the mission of the gospel. So we'll look at that today. And today we have uh, three points, as usual, for you to follow along. Uh, first, uh, the offer of all. Second, the potential in all. And the reconciliation to be shared with all. And the title of the message is Reaching Out to All. All. That's the common theme there, meaning uh, that God is a universal God. He reaches out to everyone. So let's get started. First point. The offer to all. Verse 14, Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Paul is saying that one person died for the whole humanity, all. And of course, by one person, Paul is talking about none other than Jesus Christ. In love, Jesus died on the cross for the sins of everyone. And that, in a sense, means that the whole humanity died. Uh, it says, therefore all have died because Jesus was dying the death that the whole humanity deserved to die for the penalty of their sins. And on the flip side, what that means is this, that the benefit of uh, the cross of Christ is available to everyone because Jesus died the death for everyone. In other words, salvation that Jesus achieved on the cross is offered to every human being, regardless of who they are or where they're from or where they are in life. It's to, for everyone, everybody. Now the question is, will they take it? Will they take this offer? So verse 15, Paul says, And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And right away, you can see that Paul is now limiting the scope from the whole humanity, all, to uh, certain people. But the words there, those who live, those are certain people, right? Meaning that these are the people who accepted, who took the offer of salvation by faith. And by God's power, they now are dead to their old life. Now they're dead to living for themselves because that's a dead end. And now they're alive spiritually in that they live for Christ. Something that really matters for eternity. And here... In these two verses, verse 14 and 15, that we look at, what Paul is trying to say is this, that 
anybody, again, all, regardless of their gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, whatever it is, their situation, circumstances, anybody can experience the real change by putting their faith in Christ. Anybody can change. I have a friend named Alex uh, that I used to attend the same church with back in Chicago. And later we also attend the same seminary together as well. And here's some crazy story. Uh, when he was a teenager, uh, he got involved in drugs and you know, all kinds of violence to the point that his parents totally gave up on him. And later, he ended up getting arrested and was charged with the five counts of armed robbery. And, and he was released on bond after the arrest, but he was facing a possible sentence of, get this, 200 years in prison. It was a serious crime that he did. So he, he hit the rock bottom at the time. And while dealing with the depression and remorse for what he did, and a stranger just came out of nowhere at, while he was you know, uh, sitting at a train station. And that stranger just shared a gospel with them. He shared a verse from Romans. And right there, through that encounter and through other means, he accepted the, Christ, accepted the gospel. He accepted Christ. And afterwards, he did go to jail, but uh, he only served like a year and a half because the judge uh, truly saw a genuine change in him. So he only served a year and a half. And after he got out, he went crazy. He just started sharing the gospel with anybody and everybody around him, especially uh, the, the kids in the inner city of Chicago because that's where he's from. And you know, he just had sympathy for them. He knew what they were going through. So he reached out to them. And, and he also discovered that he has this gift in music, hip-hop, and spoken word. So he started making you know, videos and records, and he actually got a little famous. If you actually like type his, I'm not gonna say his name right now, but if you type his name, I can tell you maybe individually later, but um, you can actually find him. He got pretty famous. But more, more importantly than that, uh, if you were to sit down with them one-on-one, you probably wouldn't be able to tell that this is the same guy only you know, 10 years ago was this troubled teenager, a violent, you know, hopeless teenager because I can tell you he's the kindest person, he's the most genuine guy you'll ever meet. There was a genuine change that happened because of Christ. But lest you think that the change in Christ always has to be this drastic and dramatic, I can also tell you that he's not perfect. While we went to seminary together, he had pride. <laughs> I mean, if, he, if I had his talent, you know, like in hip-hop, and I'll be prideful too. He's just so talented. So he had that pride problem, but throughout those four years, I witnessed small change here and there. You know, conversation by conversation, little by little, I saw real change during those four years. I'm trying to say that change can be that small, but still change that can only be brought up by the miraculous power of God through Christ. So I do want to say before we go on, if you're joining us today uh, and you're joining us, uh, perhaps you're not a believer in Christ and we welcome you with love of Christ. And if you're here, if you're in that uh, place, 
I urge you to keep coming to church. It doesn't have to be our church alone, but just keep going and study the word and let God change you. And I guarantee that God will do it. So first, the offer to all, anyone can change. Second, the potential in all. Verse 16, Paul says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. So once you have a new life in Christ, you are changed. The biggest change, uh, or one of the bigger changes, will be that your sight, your attitude uh, towards other people around you will change as well. There, the phrase, according to the flesh, means worldly standard. You know, flesh versus spirit. Flesh means, you know, worldly you know, standards and desires. So before Paul met Christ, Paul's life was all about according to the flesh. So look with me in Philippians 3, uh, verses 4 to 6. This is the autobiography of Paul. He says, Before Christ, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. What he's saying is that he judged himself and he judged other people by the worldly credentials, such as the right family, the Hebrew of Hebrews, right family, the right ethnicity, you know, Jew, the right education, career, the superior morality, etc. That was his measure. And he would only respect people who have these credentials, and he would look down upon those who uh, lack these things. So he would have you know, respected you know, Jeff Bezos, Steph Curry. He would have respected Michelle Obama, or those who got their internship in their freshman year, or those who work at Fortune 500 company. He would have respected these people. In contrast, he would have ignored people like my friend Alex. He would have said he did drugs, he went to jail, he barely finished college before seminary, he got no solid job, no respect for such people. So he was full of prejudice, as you can see. In fact, he dis- Paul despised Jesus for this very reason before he became Christian. Jesus was, you know, always hanging out with uh, the social outcasts and Jesus always called out at, you know, respected political, religious leaders for their hypocrisy. But most importantly, he died a criminal's death on the cross. So to Paul, Jesus was pathetic. He could not possibly be the Messiah. But when Jesus broke into his life and he became Christian, he started seeing things differently. He started seeing that everyone, regardless of their status or whatever credentials, they're all on an equal plane, which is they're all sinners. We all deserve God's judgment. But because Christ died for all, everyone, 
although under condemnation, they have potential to be saved, potential to grow and change in Christ. In other words, Paul realized that no matter what they, how they look on the outside, everybody has that potential to grow and experience God. That's why in verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Can you hear the tone of hope there? Not like looking down on them, but man, anybody and everybody has hope if they were to put their trust in Christ. What that means, brothers and sisters, is that when we look at other people, when we look to one another, we have to look to the potential. We are just so prone to judge other people, right? Based on what we see, what we value. But through the gospel, we look beyond those peripheral things. We look at what Christ can do in their lives. And now I'm going to share something that could be offensive. Um, so I apologize in advance. But I hope that you can see the, the, the core of the story, which is about redemption. Okay? So please give me some grace. All right? It can be a little offensive to some people, maybe. The story goes like this. So if you know my story, I grew up in South Korea until I was 15. And, uh, you know, Korea, at least back then, at least back then, I'm older now, but at least back then when I was growing there, it was a very conservative country and very uh, uniform, meaning that uh, there are diversity for sure, but overall you can kind of, see that people are, you know, similar in terms of their styles and on and on, you know, compared to other countries like America. Um, so when I moved to America, I was shocked by, pleasantly, by the diversity here, you know, culturally and lifestyle and everything. I was, you know, amused. Uh, but then, because I was coming from that sort of, you know, monocultural society of Korea, uh, I was shocked by this one thing in, in my high schools. Uh, that was that uh, this particular group of peers in my high schools were very unique. You know, they would like to wear dark clothes and they would put on dark makeup and they would like very distinct style of music. And I got scared. And um, I think out of my pride, I did not associate myself with them. I was just out of my fear. I just avoid them even. I just didn't want to hang out with them, right? And fast forward, I had to go on a mission trip in my uh, college year to another country where our daily task was basically doing a lot of street evangelism, meaning we just go up to random people on the street and just strike a conversation and uh, try to share the gospel with people. And on one occasion, I came to talk with uh, some girls who also had dark clothes and dark makeup on. Um, and at first, to be honest, I was uncomfortable. But as I started sharing the gospel with them, I could feel tears welling up in my eyes because I realized that 
God loves these girls. That God wants them to experience Him and His love for them, just like He does with everybody else. And here was me being judgmental, so scared because of my own standards or upbringing or whatever you want to call it. And I wasn't seeing that. And just in repentance and just sorrow, I was just crying in front of them while I was sharing the gospel with them. And let me ask you, do you have people like that in your life? Maybe not out of, you know, fear perhaps, but maybe out of other things like culturally, personality-wise, uh, the people that you don't associate yourself with. And maybe, to be really honest, you look down on them because they're not like you. In Christ, we must look to everyone beyond their surface-level credentials. We need to respect and give attention to everyone because everyone has great potential to be saved, to experience God, and change in ways that no world knows how. So potential in all. And third point, the reconciliation to be shared with all. Verse 18, Paul says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here, Paul is summarizing for us what he's been talking about. When he says all this, meaning the fact that you can change in Christ, whoever you are, and the fact that, you know, how you see other people change from judgment to grace and hope. All this, he's saying, is from God, meaning it's God's initiative. It's God's grace and gift. And there, as he's talking about that, what's interesting in that verse is that he starts using a new term, to describe salvation, which is reconciliation. Uh, right away, we can pick out two important principles there from the word reconciliation. Follow with me. First, reconciliation shows that God is a relational God. That he's not a God that just creates everything and he just you know, steps, steps away from everybody, like thousand miles away and just have his arms crossed and just watch. No. Christian God desires personal and intimate relationship with humanity. That's unique. Second, the word reconciliation suggests that something went wrong between God and us in our relationship with them. The Bible says that humans rebelled against God's rule because we wanted to be God. We wanted to have our own autonomy, thinking that that's going to give us true freedom and pleasure. So because of sin... Humans are now called the enemies of God. So there is a war now. There's no peace. And reconciliation and restoration and peace are needed. And Paul continues in verse 19. He says, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So Paul is explaining how this reconciliation worked. How did God reconcile us to himself and he's saying he did that by not counting their trespasses their sins against humanity and hear this 
There are two important elements in our lives for there to be true reconciliation. First, for there to be true reconciliation, first you have to face and confront wrong. That you have to, you know, bring out justice. You cannot just put things under the rug. Because if you do that, you know, you're going to keep running into the same problem and hurt in that relationship. And at worst, it will become an abusive relationship. And once the wrong is confronted and acknowledged and repented for by either party, and now there has to be forgiveness and uh, absorption of pain in the injured party. That the, the, the one that's hurt the one that's getting the, the wrong has to forgive and, and uh, extend the, the forgiveness to the, the other person. Only then, only these two things are accomplished, there can be true reconciliation. If that's true for human relationships, it's true for the divine relationships, meaning that between God and humanity, uh, when humans decide to rebalance against God, we are told in this verse that you know, God decided to not account their wrong against them. What that means is God decided to forgive them. God decided to absorb the wrong. God decided to absorb the pain and decided to forgive them and move on with the reconciliation. And right there, if you're following me so far, something's missing, isn't it? What about the wrong? Is God just glossing over the wrong? Is this really true reconciliation? Well, God deals with it in verse 21. It says, For our sake, He made Him, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see that? This is the gospel right here. That the the sin of humanity is so great, it's immense because us, we, rebelled against the cosmic God, the almighty God. So nobody can pay for our sins except the God-man himself, Jesus. And he came and he died. It says he became sin, meaning he became a sinner even though he was sinless. And he died on the cross to cover our sins. And there's more. It says Jesus now covers them with his righteousness. That's an astounding thing that God is covering us with his perfection, his perfect beauty. Just think about that. That's our garment that we're wearing now before God, that God sees beauty in us because of Christ, not sins. And that's what the cross did. And as a result, what happens now is that whenever we say sorry to God, it works. It shouldn't work before because God is almighty, holy God. You say, sorry, that's enough? No. But because Jesus fulfilled all requirements of the law of God, now when we say sorry, it's effective. How astounding. So that's the true reconciliation that God gave us by His grace. And the question is, can we, are we going to take it? And now, if you choose to take it, here's what's going to happen. The last element here. That once you take the offer, now God uses you 
to be an agent of reconciliation to the world. Verse 18, and I'm just going to read three verses there. Verse 18, again, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that he entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Did you catch that? That we are now God's hands and feet to reconcile those who are not reconciled yet. And that's the privilege of Christians in the world. That they're just not sitting idly, but they are the active agents of reconciliation. And what that means is, first of all, that you verbally, it's a message of reconciliation. What that means is you do verbally share this message of the gospel and reconciliation. That's for sure. But even beyond that too, these agents picture the gospel, not just with words, but with their lives. Uh, perhaps by they themselves trying to reconcile with other people in the community of church or other people. Or it could also mean that they are acting as peacemakers and mediators, trying to bring the warring parties together and reconcile them. And through that what? They picture the reconciliation of Christ to the world. And that's what we're called to do. That's our mission as a church. Missional church is the identity of church community. Go to the next slide. I don't know if you are familiar with uh, this lady who obviously passed away a while ago, but her name is Cori Ten Boom. Um, She was a survivor of Holocaust during World War II. And her and her family were Dutch Christians living in Holland um, during the Nazi regime. And they got arrested for hiding Jews in their homes. Um, and uh, Corey and her sister Betsy uh, were sent to a concentration camp in Germany where they endured through many inhumane treatments, as you can imagine. And sadly, her sister Betsy uh, died only a few days before they were to be released. And after the war, Corey uh, became a renowned Christian author and uh, speaker, you know, sharing her testimonies around the world. And uh, apparently this one time, you know, while she was uh, visiting this church in Germany, just sharing you know, her story and on and on, the usual stuff that she has been doing, uh, she encountered uh, this one guy that turned out to be, that she recognized to be uh, this former guard, German guard in her concentration camp. And she remembered, remembered him, but he did, did not remember her. But because of her story that she shared with the church, he came up to her saying that, um, you know, he used to be the guard in that camp. And he told her that after the war, he became a Christian and he received the forgiveness uh, from God for all the heinous things that he did. And now he came up to her to ask for her forgiveness. And as you can imagine, you know, she was just boiling inside because he, he was one of the factors why his sister died. It's one of the factors why, you know, his, her friends suffered 
and you know, inhumane treatments in the camp. So now, listen to, if you go to the next slide, I just wrote down uh, the quotes for us, excerpt for us, and here's how she responded. Let's read along with me here. She said, I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, his hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. Hmm. Forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. She said, Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. God, you supply the feeling. So woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. What's beautiful there is as she was reconciling with the former guard, you know, she was picturing the gospel, how God forgave us, the us, the former guard in the concentration camp. We're all sinners before God, but God forgave us. So she was picturing that to the former guard and also to herself, right? She says she never felt that much of God's love intensely in her whole life. So she was preaching the gospel to herself. And then lastly, she was picturing the gospel to the millions of people like you and me as you listen to her story decades later. She was the agent of the reconciliation by picturing God's reconciliation through her reconciliation. So that's our call. I mean, let me just talk about maybe practical things that we can do here. Of course, again, we are called to be the agent by verbally sharing the gospel. That's a call. That's not an option. And this can also look like supporting the overseas missionaries because they are the, the agents of God's reconciliation in, in those parts of the world. But it can also look like, you know, individually, again, you know, being the reconciliation force in our own lives, in our community, are we looking to reconcile, reconcile with one another? And it can also look like you taking the step to deal with the difficult people in your life. It could be 
your family members, it could be your difficult friends, it could be your difficult classmates and co-workers, that you do reconciliation as hard as it might be. That's what it means to be an agent. And lastly, on a more societal level, if you think about it, our cities, Minneapolis and St. Paul, our cities are in, in dire need of reconciliation, don't they? Just think of the recent events, you know, past few years. There is an animosity between races, you know, between civilians and government, and between the neighborhoods. There's war and hate everywhere in the city. And we can be agents in these cities too. Because we live here, we belong here. We're not out of this world. We are living here. And we can be first confront the injustice. Again, that's true reconciliation. It starts from calling out the wrong. Without that, there's no reconciliation. It's just going to be a cover-up. And from there on, we can be an active reconciling agents between different parties in this city. And all that to say, I'm trying to say that we must be engaged as a church with the neighboring communities. That is our call because we are a missional community and God, may God bless us as we endeavor to do that. Let's pray together. We spent some time um, in prayer There might be just different uh, places that we are coming from uh, to this passage. You know, some of us might have grown up in the church, so you're familiar with the call to uh, be the agents of reconciliation or be missional in your living. But perhaps this passage is challenging you to renew that desire to be God's hands and feet. Maybe for some of us, you're coming from a you know, non-Christian home, but somehow you discover the gospel and you realize you became Christian because of some people who were the agents of reconciliation for you. How precious is that? How awesome is that? So we can be thankful. Praise God for those precious souls, hands and feet. And lastly, some of us uh, are coming from the place of you, know, you want to get to know this Christianity. And, and let me assure to you that this is different from some sort of uh, proselytizing uh, where people are just trying to impose their belief on you. Christianity is radically different from that. Although some people who claim to be Christians in the past have done that, and we grieve for the wrongs that they committed. The true Christianity is about the heart of love. Like, like we saw, that you look to other people, looking at their potential, their hope, the hope for love from the Almighty God. 
And from there on, we share the gospel. Not in an imposing way, but in the way of loving the world like Jesus did. So can we pray right now? Uh, just processing this passage together right now before we uh, sing this song together and uh, end the service. But may we really hold on to this moment where God is speaking to us and speaking to our hearts. Let's pray together. Before we pray, I just want to share this with you. Um, there's a famous body of water in Israel called Dead Sea, and uh, it's full of, you know, sulfur and minerals, and smells pretty, pretty crazy, uh, apparently. And um, I mean, there's a lot of fun things you can do, do there, but you cannot drink that water uh, because basically the the the, the lake, the, the Dead Sea, uh, would would only receive water, but it would never. Um, give water uh, so that it just keeps accumulating minerals and there's like a picture if our for a church uh, if we were to just keep containing ourselves um, you know we'll eventually end up like that uh, a dead sea uh, and God is saying a healthy church means you know we give out our blessings to to the world and we do that by God's strength. And let me share this with you. Um, if you know me, you know, according to Myers-Briggs, the personality test, uh, I found out that I'm 10-0 uh, introvert. And I realized I love sitting in my room. <laughs> I love that. I, uh, I could do that like all day long. Um, meaning that I think the call to reach out and call to be a missional church is not a comfortable thing. And it's an impossible thing because, you know, none of us uh, naturally want to do that. And I think that's why the beauty of the gospel is that the God is the one that goes before us. Like we just saying, it is God's might. He's mighty to save. And if we just have the desire, God will use it, and He'll do the rest. So may we take heart in that, that as we grow as a church, as we grow as individuals that want to grow as Christ followers, this is a call that God is saying, this is good for you. As you bless the world, you'll be blessed. So may we keep that, keep that in mind as we continue to grow and Go on as a church. May we not lose that. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Uh, thank you that in life we can relax uh, because our identity is in Christ. It's not about how well we do in school or work, how successful we are, because you don't look at those things and judge us. You look at our heart, and if we are covered in Christ, you smile at us. And feeling that smile right now, I'm just so happy. I can just sigh and lie down here because I'm so joyful knowing that 
I am content in Christ. And from that heart, may we have the joy to um, reach out to other people who may not know this joy, who may not know the reconciliation that comes from the gospel. Lord, bless our hearts. Help us to cling on to you. May we all grow. I especially pray for those of us who are new here, new to campus perhaps. Uh, may their college years be filled with discovering who you are and who, what the true gospel is so they can truly live a life that's fulfilling. May they discover that. May they cherish that in their lives, God. Thank you, Lord, for who you are.